very complicated relationship with Facebook, as you know, Sherry. I mostly just hate it. And I I don't like the posts that I see and it makes me feel bad about people sometimes, which is my problem, not theirs. But I saw, but I, when I say the relationship is complicated, it's complicated because I have to use Facebook for promoting my writing So it's kind of a necessary evil, but I also find enough little nuggets of humor that I will scroll through sometimes, getting more angry and disgusted with the things I see, just looking for that gem that will give me a chance to laugh. And I found one yesterday. Do you want to hear about it? Yeah. So it was this video. Uh, Good friends of ours, pretty good friends of ours, and their daughter, who I want to say is eight or nine was sitting on the toilet the camera was positioned very um properly or whatever so that you you could barely tell she was on the toilet and you couldn't see anything inappropriate at all but her her she calls for her brother to come in and bring her a roll of toilet paper so pretty typical family situation the kid's on the pot and runs out of toilet paper and has to call for help and the brother comes in and the brother i think he's like three And as he goes to hand her the toilet paper, she reaches out her hand and she runs like a smear of brown. It had to be pudding or frosting or something like from his elbow down to his wrist. So he's got the toilet paper in his hand. He sticks it out and she smears pudding, chocolate pudding down from elbow to wrist. And he like looks at it and he's like, ah, like pulls his hand back. And then he looks and sees that it's brown and he starts shrieking. I mean, this blood curdling scream because he thinks his sister has just wiped poop on his arm. Yuck. It was hilarious. That's so yucky. That's I think we so should, I think we should do that here at our house. I think we should do that with our kids. I think no one would walk into the bathroom to hand toilet paper. That's a three-year-old's mistake. What do you mean? I think that they would just lob it at the person's head, whoever's sitting there. They're just a target. They can't move. They're just going to lob like rolls and rolls of toilet paper. Yeah, no one's coming into a bathroom that someone's been pooping in. I think our kids are a little too old for that, other than it just to be like a total act of, ooh, getting out, like releasing frustration, like... I can imagine Joe sitting there and Nick just pummeling him with like every roll of toilet paper from that same size club container of mega rolls that we got. You're right. We're more of a (coughs) throw from the doorway kind of a situation now. Yeah, it wouldn't work. Then you'd be sitting there. You'd have to catch the toilet paper with the uh, pudding hand and that would make a mess. Yeah, it wouldn't work, but it was hilarious. And so, you know, unfortunately, that restores my faith in the value of Facebook because, I mean, I laughed out loud for a couple of minutes. It was really, really funny. But but then there's the flip side of the Facebook coin. Like I said, the things that I don't enjoy. And that's what I wanted to, you know, that's part of what I wanted to talk about with you here uh, on our this episode of the Untoxicated Podcast I'm Matt Salis, and I'm here with my wife, Sherry Salis. And Sherry, the things that make me, 
I don't know. I, I'm really judgmental and I don't know, condescending or arrogant. I just, I get all these bad feelings about myself when I scroll through Facebook. And one of the posts that got me specifically yesterday was, again, a good friend of ours. And she said, listen, my, my family is not having uh, work interruption. We're not having income disruption. We are not, none of us have caught the virus. Nobody is sick. And so for us, we're doing the right thing. We're staying home, but it's it's kind of a drag. And I just want to vent for a second and talk about the things that I miss, the very materialistic, first world, you know, white people problems, however you want to say it, the, the things that I miss from being in lockdown right now that I wish I could get back. And, and, and she invited her friends to comment along those lines too. And so all the things that people said that they were missing were things like, you know, going to the coffee shop or going out for cocktails with friends or going and getting a glass of wine or getting manicures or massages, you know, really privileged kind of um, disposable income things. And it it kind of, you know, honestly, it kind of made me think, ugh, gross. I mean, that, that was the... The gut reaction. This is someone I really like and gross. She's telling everyone, you know, and all of her friends are jumping in too and saying these really materialistic things that she misses. And so I'm I'm wondering what is, what's something that you miss? Um, because again, you know, we're in a similar situation. Our, we haven't had much. We've had a little bit, but not much of an income impact from the lockdown and None of our immediate family members are sick, so we've been blessed in that way. But so with all of that aside, what's something that you just miss, even if it's kind of materialistic? Well, it's going to be the first thing that you listed off of the your um, things that people were talking about was going out to a coffee shop or getting a cup of coffee. Um, but I would add to that that it would be like coffee with my friend because... We did that fairly regularly. We would go out for coffee um, or get coffee and then go walk around the park and talk. So I miss that. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think I know which friend you're talking about. And I'm pretty sure that one of the things that I've learned during our recovery from alcoholism is how important that relationship is to you and I know I know that when I was actively drinking part of active alcoholism is creating this facade of perfection in the family and protecting that and I you know I was vehement that no one in the family was to share any of the family secrets which primarily that's just you and me that I'm talking about, but we were not to talk about my drinking or the arguing or any of the collateral damage from alcohol. And so you really missed out on having relationships like that for a long time because, you know, there was a limit to how open and honest and vulnerable you could be with your friends. And that left kind of a void, left a a hole in your heart kind of for where you'd want to have a friendship. And so I know 
if it's the person I'm thinking of, that's become a really important friendship to you now that we're in recovery and we are being honest. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Also, I think during your active alcoholism, you had the worry that I would say something. But also, I think you had sort of a... You didn't see why conversations with other people were important um, or having relationships that were friend relationships that had depth were really that important because you thought that we would be each other's best friends and tell everybody or tell all of our secrets and feelings to and share. And I think that when you were drinking, you couldn't really get that deep with anybody or be vulnerable with anybody because you were, you know, hiding and having a secret and alcohol was kind of your best friend. So you didn't see the value in connecting with others at that point except for just your family. Maybe it was just you were worried that I was going to say something. Well, I think you said something really important. You said alcohol was my best friend. I don't know that I necessarily thought of it that way but alcohol definitely replaced my need or or my knowing that I had a need for a best friend I mean if something was bugging me the kind of thing that you'd go and talk to somebody about the kind of thing that you would process with another human being I would just drink and then I would you know mostly stop worrying about it or think about it thinking about it or I would start to think about it in a different way and it wouldn't just be gnawing at me anymore because the alcohol would would medicate that in one way or another so I don't know if alcohol was my best friend I mean that that's certainly a way to put it but it it definitely eliminated my need for a best friend and then but then the other part of what you said is absolutely true I I mean it wasn't like I sat there and I consciously said Sherry you sh- you don't need to have any friends because I am your friend and you can tell me everything. I mean I might have said that but it was more of a protecting of the family secrets thing. I didn't want you to get really close with anybody because I didn't want them to know what a monster I was. And so by saying things like, "Hey, let's keep this between us because we're here to take care of each other and that's what being married is all about." It was just lies and denial and it wasn't it wasn't outwardly vicious. It was to protect us and protect myself and to protect my drinking. So selfish, absolutely 100%. But it wasn't intentionally vicious. I think I think something interesting about this Facebook post and then you know what you say your your response is to the question of what would what what's a, a thing or two that you really miss. Well, what would you miss? Or what do you miss? We didn't hear your side of it. Uh, Well, I I didn't post anything in response to the person's question, but um, I, I mean, I, we've, (coughs) we've mentioned here before, I'm, I coach high school soccer. I miss the girls. It's uh, spring is girls soccer season and I miss being out there with the girls. It's our daughter's senior season, which is a big part of that, but I I really miss being out there working with the girls. I don't I don't miss um 
I don't miss anything mat- material, I don't think. I don't miss going shopping or going to get a manicure or anything like that. But that actually, you know, that ties into what you said. One of the things you missed was going to a coffee shop and getting a coffee with a friend. And my initial reaction to that when it was other people saying that, people that I'm not as close to as I am close to you, was, oh, that's superficial. And, you know, it made me kind of think down on them a little bit. And I know that just makes me a jerk. I know this is my problem, not their problem. But then when you had the same answer, it changed my thinking entirely because I know how important that relationship, that friendship is to you. And if if having coffee together is the you know impetus to, to bringing you together, that's really the minor piece of the puzzle. The important piece of the puzzle is that you do have friends that you confide in now, and you specifically have this one very good friend that you confide pretty much everything with, and she returns the favor and tells you what's going on with her. And I do understand how important that is and how valuable that is. But then the the other thing that it makes me think about that going to a coffee shop and getting a fancy coffee is at the top of your list. It also makes me realize how much less judgy. You know, I, I mean, I started this saying I was judgmental of of our friend who posted that and her friends who jumped into the fray with her. And that's true, but I used to be really judgy like that about you too. When I there's so much arrogance involved in alcoholism. I mean, until you come to grips with the fact that you've got an addiction and it's time to get get sober and to try to find recovery, right up until the point when you decide to quit, you think you're a rock star. I thought I was a rock star. I thought, you know, I can drink. Um you know, I can hold my liquor better than most people I know. I kind of felt a little bit like a, the life of the party when I was drinking. And I always had something witty to say. I wasn't able to realize I was saying the same stupid thing over and over again, but I was too drunk to realize it. So, you know, I'm sure I came across to you. I know I came across to you as boorish and just disgusting. But to me, I thought I was I was great. And part of that feeling that you're great means anyone who feels differently than you has got to be wrong. And so there's so much judginess to being an active alcoholic and looking looking down on people for things like posting to Facebook that they want to get a manicure and they wish they could, but they can't because of a, because of a crisis and a lockdown. So even though, you know, like I said, I was a little judgmental about the post in in and of itself, when you told me that going to a coffee shop was at the top of your list, my judgmentalness just kind of evaporated because I realized, oh, what she's talking about there is a really important friendship that's important to her mental health and her healing. So I don't know. Recovery sobriety has changed both of us and has changed the relationship. And this is just one of the ways, I guess, that it's changed changed each of us. It's changed you and that you now have those really valuable, important relationships. And it's changed me because I don't 
just sit around judging everything you do. Um, I, I've, I know my weaknesses and I know my insecurities and failings well enough to know, you know, even if I have an instinctual reaction to something, there's a fair chance it's wrong and it's not that I'm not looking at things right and I need to dig a little deeper and understand and then I can probably find the reason that somebody feels the way or is acting the way that they are. So it's made me, sobriety's made me a much better listener and a lot less arrogant. I wish that the lockdown was over, not only so I could get back to the soccer girls, but so that you could go have that coffee with your friend too, because I, I think that's important. I think it's important that you have that relationship. We, so as much as sobriety and recovery has made me less judgmental, I I don't think that it has, it, it has made you less fearful of the judgmental side of me, of the way I used to behave. I think that's something that's still a work in progress. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. We had a we had a conversation yesterday that's making me think of that of this. In your office in our house, you've you've been talking for a little while about painting the office and you've you've got some paint color what do they call those? The little squares? Samples. Yeah. Chips. Colors color samples that you've been hanging and I've noticed you've been moving them around the room to for what to see how they look in different lighting or something like that. Yeah. So you've been trying to pick a paint color for for your office and yesterday you 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 prefaced a conversation by saying that you were nervous to talk to me about this. But then you went ahead and did and you you talked to me about two things and one of them was uh going ahead and getting the paint for the office. And why were you why were you nervous to talk to me about that? I mean, I'd seen the paint samples up and you had discussed what color would look best, so I knew that the painting of the office was coming. Why were you nervous to talk to me about it? I think just because it wasn't an essential purchase. And I got the sample that I like the best at a place that I don't normally shop or anything that's like really close to the house. So I guess I was kind of nervous that we would have to make one extra stop for a non-essential, putting ourselves at risk for contamination for something that um, I would do while we're in shelter in place. And um, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are doing home improvement stuff right now, but I know that you and I have talked about trying to be part of the solution and not the problem and limiting our exposure out there to contract or to, you know, pass on if we got it. So I was just nervous about bringing up something that was a non-essential desire or want for me instead of it being a need. So you were afraid that I was going to react negatively because 
we'd have to go out and expose ourselves when we're supposed to stay home <coughs> and, you know, possibly be part of spreading things. So you were worried about what my response would be. Yeah. Yeah. So... I mean, because we're trying to just do, like, one, you know, time going out, getting groceries, being done. We're not traipsing out to state parks, you know, that sort of stuff. We're trying to stay yeah, within we're just our getting neighborhood e- for Exercise, walks. yeah, in the neighborhood. And, and stay on our property, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Grocery shopping once a week, basically. Yeah. 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 So I think, like, weighing that in your head, is this non-essential thing important enough that it justifies? That makes sense. But I think the thing that struck me about it was that you were actually nervous to have the conversation with me. And that can't help but bring back memories of times when you never knew what my reaction was going to be. When, when I was an active alcoholic, certainly it was challenging and questionable to bring up things to me while I was actually drinking. Like on a Friday night at nine o'clock would be a really bad time to bring something up that you were worried about my reaction because you never knew what my reaction was going to be I, if I was six IPAs into it, you know, the evening. But even more than that, I mean, I was really moody and temperamental even when sober during my active alcoholism. And so you might bring up, you know, a a topic you wanted to discuss with me and you just never knew what my reaction was going to be. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. So the fact that you were, you know, nervous about a conversation about going to the paint store yesterday, I mean, that's got to be related, doesn't it? It had to be a fear of, you know, I don't, I don't mean for this to sound wrong, but kind of an irrational fear, irrational in present day Sherry and Matt's life, but a fear that would not at all have been irrational back when I was a drinker, even if it was nine o'clock on a Wednesday morning and I hadn't been drinking and there was no alcohol in my system. You just never knew if I would say, oh yeah, let's, you want to get the office painted while we're locked at home? Great idea. Or if I would have said, no, that's a wasted trip. We're going to infect people. Why are you being so ridiculous? It could have been either of those two reactions, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It could have been either of those. But so the fact that... And I understand it's irrational. You don't behave like that now. But the fear lingers is the point. You can't just shake that off. You can't just make that go away because you had years and years of it. Yeah. Maybe if I just didn't have some of the upbringing that I had to, like having this irrational fear about how you're going to respond, but then having to like, talk to somebody and have permission because my mom was a single mom for most of my upbringing so I didn't have to like feel like I had to ask permission and sometimes in the past when I did ask for permission it wasn't received well and it's just lingered on like to the point where it actually took me like about a week to come up with 
the nerve to ask you about the paint. And I only asked you because I wrapped it around the fact that we also needed to get mulch. And that was an option that we could, like, try to call ahead and get it all ordered for pickup, you know. So I felt like I kind of did my research and saw that the store had mulch, too, and that that was an option, so. One thing that's really interesting about the way you're describing this, you keep saying, ask me or or request permission and you know especially when you talked about how your mom didn't have anyone to ask permission of you don't have to ask me permission to buy paint i mean you're a strong smart independent person well i wouldn't have wanted to go against like your belief that staying at home and that it was not essential i knew that it would cause a rift between us if I went ahead and said, hey, I'm going to go and to that and get the paint and all the stuff we needed. How much mulch do you need? Like, without... Con- and I... You know... I, I guess... Wanted, you, wanted to know that you were okay with it. Yeah, that's different than asking permission, though. Having a conversation and discussing when should we do this? How should we do We Do we go together? Are we going to get the mulch? Are we going to load it in, you know... Which car are we going to take so we have room to throw the mulch bags in there? I mean, that that's planning. But, but you specifically said ask permission. And that makes me feel really bad as though I'm some kind of ogre that, you know, that decides yes or no whether you can blow your nose or not. I'm sorry. No, I, it, I'm not searching for an apology. I, I think it's important. I think it's important because I think you lived your life when I was drinking in that mode. Like every little thing had to get get my approval because if it didn't, you never knew how I'd react. You might go and go, go to buy paint, which is an innocent, you know, silly little anyone can make that decision kind of thing to do. And you might have gotten an awful reaction from me because you decided to do that. And now here that we're that we're past that from the standpoint that I would never react negatively because you bought some paint for your office. <coughs> I mean, your office is it's where we record these episodes because it's so tiny because it doesn't echo in here. It doesn't echo badly anyway. It's like literally like five feet by five feet or something. It's this tiny little room. I mean, a gallon of paint is going to cover this. So it's not like you were making some big investment. It's not like it's a room that I have any say over anyway. It's your it's your office. It's your little space. And so the idea that you, you felt like you needed permission for me to do that is, I mean, it, it's a lingering, um, you know, collateral damage from my alcoholism. I don't, and I, I I don't want to make you feel bad by, by pointing out the fact that you kept talking about it as getting permission or asking me. I, you know, now that alcohol isn't part of my life, I look at that, you know, like it's kind of befuddling. Like who would, 
who would need to get permission for something like that? But that's a genuine way you feel. Because in the past, when I was drinking, that's how I made you feel. I made you feel like you needed permission for anything. You needed permission to have a friend. You needed permission to talk to somebody. You needed permission to go make some minor purchase. And that's got to be awful. Isn't it? Yeah, and I guess, like, if you had been drinking the painting, you would have... You know, you would have talked about the disruption it would have caused on you and how you would have had to been involved because you wouldn't have wanted to give up any of your free time to do it because I know that there are going to be things that I'm going to need probably some help with um, when it comes to painting this little room. Just hauling out some of the the one heavy piece of furniture um, that is easily movable. So... I guess maybe, yeah, like thinking about how I would have to ask you for help. I was kind of, you know, thinking about having to ask you for permission because there might be a couple things that you're involved with, even though it's just painting here. So in the past, you probably would have been disgruntled because it would have interrupted your time. Yeah. Yeah. It's... You know, we we don't realize, I didn't realize how much damage I was causing because, because of the way the alcohol changed me, not just when I was drinking, but when I was sober as well. Just kind of the, the selfish, arrogant, um, so protective of my own stuff kind of a person that I was and it's it's really hard to even wrap my arms around the fact that I couldn't see that back then I couldn't see what a horrible human being I was but now it's crystal clear I mean the fact that my wife we've been married for 20 plus years and the fact that you feel like you you know have had to ask permission or get me on board to do something simple like that makes makes me feel bad for the lasting damage I've caused. And all I can offer at this point is t- to make sure you know again that I'm sorry for everything everything that I did when drinking and all the repercussions of my drinking. And also for you to know that I've got all the patience in the world. I'm going to try anyway to have all the patience in the world to give you the space and the time it takes for you to heal from this so that you reach a point where you don't have any fear of any conversation with me, let alone a conversation about buying a gallon of paint. Um, I don't want, I don't want to be someone you're afraid to talk to. I'm excited that you've got friends to talk to, too, especially this really close friendship. But I still want to be your best friend. I still want to be the (coughs) person you're most willing to talk to. And we got a long way to go before we get there. And I don't know of any solution. I mean, you and I have researched this. I don't know of any solution to this besides just, you know... It was repetitive 
ongoing, consistent, bad behavior that got us to the point where you're afraid to talk to me about things. And so the only solution that I know of is repetitive, consistent, good behavior or good, you know, um, results from conversations, even if they're difficult. So I hope when you brought up the paint yesterday, you felt good about the decision we made. And I hope that that happens a hundred more times or a thousand more times or however many times it has to happen before you start to feel comfortable talking to me no matter what the topic is. Yep. I'll do my best. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. I'm sorry you're in this spot. It's okay. Well, it's not, but... Probably would have been easier had we had developed better friendship in the beginning and talked about things rather than just having a good time. That would probably have made things a bit easier to then transition back to. So I feel like we have to kind of start learning how to, you know, or at least for me, start learning how to think of you as a friend and someone I can bounce ideas off of and talk to without worry about judgment or disgruntledness or so. you're, you're right that is a big part of the problem it isn't we aren't trying to fix and go back to the way it was because there never what that never existed the the sherry and matt before before alcohol is not a thing it was a heavy drinking was a big part of both of our lives when we first got together and then you stopped drinking or stopped drinking much and it remained a big part of my life and so there's no going back to the way it used to be I mean I hear that a lot with the the people that we work with and that we talk to that are in recovery from alcoholism we we want it back the way it was but wait a minute there was no the way it was before alcohol. It didn't exist before alcohol. And so it's it's not re- returning to, to a previous sweet spot. It's finding a new Finding place. a sweet spot to begin with. Yeah. It's very true. So, you know, one other thing happened. Um, we started off talking about the uh, the friends of ours that with the toilet paper prank with the chocolate pudding <coughs> and then we had a really heavy deep difficult conversation for a while I think we should end on a light note as well about something that happened in our family uh, last last weekend we had a video call with my parents and sister and her family with so we had a bunch of people on the video 13. call what's that? 13 people. Yeah, 13 people. And I had the bright, <laughs> bright idea that we would start off the call with on a lighter note. We would have everyone in our family go get their nicest, um, hole-free, streak-free underwear that they had. And we'd all pull our underwear over our head and use that as a face covering, you know, because we're supposed to wear face coverings when we're around other people now. 
And just, just to start out, like I said, with a little bit of a joke at the beginning of the video call, we'd all have our underwear on our head. And so we did that, and everyone giggled, ha-ha, you know, there they all are with their underwear on their head. But then when the call was over, I said, all right, so that we don't forget, everyone take your underwear and go put it back in your drawer right now so we don't have underwear Since laying all over the house. they're clean and be nice to your mom and the little Yeah, nervous. go put your underwear back in the drawer. And our youngest, <coughs> our 10-year-old Andrew, looked up at me and said, what do you mean the drawer? I just took these off. I've been doing this call commando. So he was he was wearing his... Uh, his own, you know, fart-soaked uh, underwear that he'd been wearing all day on his head for the call. And I laughed for the rest of the day. I thought that was the funniest thing ever. And then you, you know, <coughs> you took him into the bathroom and scrubbed his face for oh. about three and a half hours. <coughs> no, I was like so saddened by his stupidity almost that it was like as <laughs> mother. Like, what did I do? Like, how just did being, he not know to get clean underwear? He was just being efficient, you know? He's just 10. He wasn't It would be easier for me to go commando. Just get your underwear on your face is off. what he heard. That's yeah. what he, yeah. Yeah. But that whole thing, you know, again, so that we're ending this on a good note, that whole thing would not have happened back when I was drinking because I would have been like, let's get this stupid call over with with my family so I can go back to drinking. And... I wouldn't have had the inclination to make the call itself something that was entertaining or enjoyable. It would have been a nuisance in my way. So Yeah, considering the time of day it was, it would have been. Yeah. So I'm really glad that I'm sober. Because, you know, you, you can spend a lot of time thinking about the big reasons you're sober. You your relationship with your spouse is hopefully improving and you're saving all this money and you're not putting yourself at risk for legal problems or financial collapse. But there's a lot to be said about the joy of the little things too. I guarantee you I would not have, you know, tried to coerce our teenagers to go get underwear and put it on their heads. They looked at me like I was purple when I suggested this. But but it was fun. And it wasn't just fun because it was my brilliant idea. It was fun because Andrew wore his own actively dirty underwear on his head. That's what made it fun. So I'm glad I'm sober. And I'm glad we had that laugh together. And I'm sorry about all the face scrubbing that that required of you for the rest of the (laughs) afternoon. Thanks for talking to me about all this stuff, Sherry. You're welcome. I love you. Love you too. We'll get there. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. This has been another episode of the Untoxicated Podcast, and we thank you for listening.